When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Bellerín, otro defensor, otro disparo, Monreal, gol. Marca el futbolista español, marca Nacho Monreal. Pim, pam, pum. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, goodly morning to you. Goodly morning to you too. How's it going? It's going good, thanks. Yeah, not too bad. It's still, do you know what? I know that we sort of customarily talk about the weather on this podcast, but I don't know what's happening in Ireland, but in London, it's very hot without being sunny. So it's it's not pleasant, I would say. The, it is exactly the same here in Dublin. It's grey, it's overcast, but it's absolutely roasting. I played five-a-side on Friday evening mm-hmm. and it was so hot. Jesus. But, you know, I'd rather be playing in direct sunlight than in, the, in this sort of blanket of moist air. Uh, I'm not, com- Yeah, but it's not smoggy so much as just like, I don't know what you would call it, but just really, really humid, really hot, and it makes it very difficult to run around, even beyond the fact that when you're 46 years of age, it's difficult enough to run around anyway. Um, but look, I'm not complaining, not complaining about the heat. I'm digging it. I know it's the end of the world and everything else, but at least we're having a nice, pleasant climate to end the world in. Exactly. What a way to go. Mm. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, and also, I mean, look, everyone's complaining about, you know, should Arsenal be travelling over to Asia? What about the humidity there? I mean, at least they've had decent preparations for it. Conditions in London, Colney, probably not that different right now. No, true, true. The, uh, the, the lads have gone off to Singapore. They've arrived in Singapore this morning. I saw uh, Stuart posting some pictures of the, uh, the lads getting off the plane and to wherever it is they're going. I, I presume some kind of... Uh, travel lodge type of hotel, two-star accommodation. You don't want to pamper them, you know. You want to make them realize that they've got a bit of work ahead of them this season. Gone are the old days of five-star luxury leaping into pools like Olivier Giroud while all around him look on in awe. No chance. It's a shared jacuzzi and there's brown bits in it and nobody knows what the brown bits are. Hey, you mentioned Olivier Giroud there. Have you seen what he's done to his head? No. What did he do to his head? He shaved it. Really? Well, How am I gonna- he said, he, he, I think he promised he would shave his head if France won the World Cup. So he then had to deliver on that. In my opinion, what he's done doesn't quite count a shaving head. He's, he's lost the majority of his hair, but he's just got a kind of buzz cut. Uh, I'm looking at it now, yeah. That's just, that's not a shaved head. I agree. I think that's I think that's the coward's way out, to be honest. He What's, had to go full baldy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like, what, a number two, number three on top, maybe a number one around the sides. Yeah. Nah, that's, no, no, no. We can't stand for this. I know. And, and he's kept the beard. So, the, you know, the, the ratio of the hair has changed, but there's still plenty of hair on that head, especially if you include the lower half. Yeah. You look at it and you go, that's going to grow back. It is going to grow back. 
That's the point, actually. When he said he should have shaved his head, maybe, you know, that should entail the face too. He should have been hairless from the neck up, really. Yeah, like Imac. He should have just smothered his entire head with Imac. <laughs> Dunked his head in a bucket of Imac. Yeah, and that way we'd see what he's made of. No eyebrows, no nostril hair, nothing, no mm-hmm. beard. That would be amazing. Um, but, but he still looks pretty handsome. I mean, he's still, you know, he's still got that that jawline, right? He kind of has. He kind of has got it. So, look, the lads are in Singapore. Uh, any surprises for you about the uh, the squad that we took out there? There was no room for Carl Jenkinson, no room for Chuba Agpom, Joel Campbell. Um, one more, I think, I can't remember who, uh, that might have been on the trip, but... Uh, any anything? Ospina, I guess. Maybe. Well, I mean, he's uh, still on his holidays, isn't he? So, yeah. well back uh, is still on this holiday. Jacques uh, Licksteiner, they're still on their holidays. So, um, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, no, no real surprises. I mean, I guess on the positive side of who was included, I suppose the fact that Lucas Perez was on the plane suggests that he's in contention at least for the squad for next year. Yeah. Yeah, of course, some players have still to come back, but clearly he's been given a chance uh, to prove himself to Unai Emery. The Jeff is the one that uh, was a surprise uh, yeah. in a way because he did score, didn't he? He scored in the the game against Crawley Town, the behind-closed-doors 9-0 win over Crawley Town until, James, of course, our preseason went wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Every, everything went wrong when we... The wheels came off. The wheels came off. We lost to, to Brentford, I believe. Mm-hmm. Mm. We did 2-1 at London Colney, I'm assured. Um, I mean, the, the reaction to that news was quite astonishing. I'm, I'm sure some of it was ironic, but I think I posted saying, oh, I just heard we lost 2-1 at London Colney, and people were up in arms about it. I mean, it, you know, you can't blame them for playing the games behind closed doors when you see how seriously people take the result. Yeah, it is just a training game. People... People lose sight of that, I think. You know, I think most people can see preseason for what it is. There's two things that preseason are for. Uh, one is uh, uh, getting fit and playing some games and for the manager to to operate with a team. The other is is doing stuff like the tour and making money and uh, spreading brand awareness and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, the results don't matter. I mean, if we go uh, into the first game of the season and we've been beaten, you know, 5-0 by Atletico, 6-0 by PSG, we come to Dublin and get beaten 4-0 by Chelsea and we've lost, you know, in Stockholm to Lazio, then maybe we could get a little bit worried. But in general, uh, you know, these are just training games and it's, it's about getting fit and getting conditioned for a new season. Yeah, absolutely. I think you can't take it too seriously. There are, of course, things to be read into it and, you know, little observations to make about individuals, but the results themselves are relatively meaningless, particularly in a game that, I mean, I I can't say this as fat, but it was mentioned that, you know, they had unlimited subs in that friendly match that maybe it wasn't even quite a full 90 minutes. So, I mean, I'm I'm not getting cut up about losing to Brentford in what isn't even an actual match. Yeah. Yeah, that none of us saw or have any idea of what happened in. Yeah, that seems that seems fair. So we've got two games this week. We've got a game against uh, PSG. We've got a game against Atletico Madrid. Two teams that we know pretty well, it has to be said, down the years. We've played them in Europe in the last couple of seasons. So a good test and probably an idea of how Unai Emery is going to set up his team, if not necessarily who is going to fill the places, what way uh, he's gonna he's gonna pick the team? What sort of formation? What sort of system he's gonna use? Are we gonna see this this long-awaited high-pressing game? Yeah, and that 
pardon me the throw there, just two teams that I guess are quite intriguing to see us play. I know we have played them both relatively recently. That's one of the main reasons, you know, Atleti were the team that knocked us out of the Europa League last year and PSG, mm. of course, the club Emery was with uh, until yeah. May. So yeah. he, he can't have an excuse for being unprepared or not knowing what they're going to be about. But I, I, I think this is where we can start to see Hopefully, as you say, his ideas implemented on the team. You know, he had that week at London Colney with two behind closed doors games last week. Uh, it's funny because we were speculating, weren't we? What are they going to do in that week? Are they just going to be training? But no, they yeah. did have little, little games arranged. And I, I hope, I hope that we see exactly that. That you know, because it's not something that you can just turn up and do against Man City on day one, is it? You can't just be like, okay, we start the pressing. <laughs> Now, yeah, yeah, there we yeah. go. It's something that requires a bit more practice, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. You need to be um, well used to it, and uh, this is what the preseason is for, I guess. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see these games. I think they take place on, is it Thursday and Saturday? Yes, it is Thursday and Saturday. I feel like they're in the middle of the day, sort of British time, aren't they? Around, I think it's 12.30, Arsenal Atletico on Thursday, and then we play PSG at the same time, 12.35 on Saturday. Okay, okay. So it doesn't eat up into your evening. You're not waiting around all day to see what's uh, to see what's going to happen. So, yeah, okay. I look forward to those. You know, we can start to take things a little bit more seriously once we start seeing the team. And look, 25-man squad out there, he's going to rotate quite considerably. You know, even though we've had players come back like... Uh, El Nenny, Iwobi, and Mesut Ozil are back, mm. but they're just back um, to travel over there to be part of the squad. I would imagine that given the fact they're just back and haven't really trained, their participation in the games themselves will be relatively minimal. Yes, I expect they might take some part in the second game, but I would be very mm. surprised if they if they featured in both because, you know, they're just right at the start of their preparations at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, some stories about Alex Iwobi this week. Two very conflicting stories, actually. One which said he was going to be a target for Lazio, 25 million euro sale to Lazio. Other reports yeah. suggest that he's on the brink of, of signing a new deal with the club. Um, what's your thoughts on, on that? The new deal, I would say, more than the speculation linking him with, with Lazio. I suppose it would fit a pattern of sorts in recent months whereby we seem to have tied down young uh, talent who qualifies homegrown, let's put it like that, the likes of uh, Rob Holding, Callum Chambers. We've put them on long-term contracts. And Alex Awobi is another one of those guys who ticks those boxes. He's an academy product, more than that. And I, I think there would be a certain degree of sense in that. You know, we've talked about the need for a wide player in the squad and in some respects he's probably the closest thing we have to that um so i I would be in favor i know that he's not always convinced everybody but i think he's a very very gifted player still young and i've got no part problem in being part of the squad moving forward what about you same i think it's it's uh, a sensible move we can assess him more properly perhaps under Unai Emery. Um, People had reservations about how young players developed under Arsene Wenger, didn't they? I mean, we spoke about it on the podcast many times where a player hits a certain level and they they plateau or they they can't seem to get any further. And that perhaps was one of the criticisms of of Arsene Wenger when it came to young players. The credit that he had for giving them a chance, perhaps more than any other manager in in the Premier League, certainly when it comes to, uh, you know, clubs in the Champions League in the top four uh, for as long as we were, the the criticism of that was that they only got so far and then they seemed to to hit a wall and couldn't get any further. So 
I'm curious to see whether or not Unai Emery can get a bit more out of him than we saw in the last season. I think there's talent there, there's real potential there, but he needs maybe something different in terms of coaching. The other side of that, of course, is that his current contract probably doesn't go on for too much longer, maybe a couple of years. Um, so you, what you're doing is you're securing his value. If a he doesn't make it, you've got a couple of years more in his contract, which gets you a better transfer fee. Or if uh, he becomes a, a valuable part of the squad, then you've got him tied down and he, he can feel an important part of, of the squad as well. And, you know, you do go through it. You look at uh, Callum Chambers, Rob Holding, Alex Iwobi. Are there others? Granit Jack has been tied down. Um, are there any others? I can't think of uh, any others, actually. Uh, but. El Nenny, I guess, would be a relatively yeah. recent one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they are doing their best to tie people down to contracts. Um, not everybody, of course, has been tied down to a contract. You see the links with Barcelona mm. midfielder Andre Gomez. Does that make you feel that perhaps he's a contingency plan if the Aaron Ramsey situation does not develop in a favourable way from an Arsenal point of view? Potentially. I mean, it, it does seem logical, doesn't it? If the manager says, I think we've done the business we want to do, but then you continue to see links with a central midfield player, you do wonder if someone's going to go out. And we are now, what are we, just a couple of weeks away from the transfer deadline? Uh, and no news on a new contract mm. for Aaron Ramsey. So I, I, you'll have to forgive me for being a bit pessimistic about it. And also you'll have to forgive me not being too excited about Andre Gomez. It seems no one has anything nice to say about that guy. Yeah, I mean, he looks like a, not, a nice enough fellow, but um, pretty much every comment <laughs> when we yeah. when we ran the story, uh, you know, on Arsblog News, on Facebook, on Twitter, on, uh, on the site itself was like... Mwah. Mm, it sort of ranged from like, no, to like, you know, nobody nobody seemed that keen on Andre Gomez. Poor Andre Gomez. Yeah, well, I think he has been a bit of a, well, not a bit, a significant flop at Barcelona. They paid a huge amount of money to sign him. Uh, so maybe you can see from kind of the, the spend point of view that this could be an opportunity to pick up a player relatively cheaply given their supposed market worth. Mm. But as a replacement for Aaron Ramsey... I'm not sure. I mean, where do you think this Ramsey thing is going? Do you think that they there's any chance they'll let him start the season and stay beyond the deadline without a new contract? Uh, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't rule anything out yeah. when it comes to this club, to be perfectly honest. Uh, I know we've all been quite happy and enthused about the way that the summer transfer dealings have gone and the business that we've done and the efficiency in which we've done that business, but this is becoming a, a key issue now. We're now... July 23rd, the season starts in a little under three weeks and we have mm. no more clarity on the situation than we did three weeks ago, three months ago, six months ago, a year ago. And we know that offers have been made. We know for a fact that offers have been made to Aaron Ramsey. So the conclusion that we can draw from the situation as we understand it right now, given the fact he hasn't signed, is that those deals have not been sufficient enough for him to sign a new contract. Or or he isn't going to sign a new contract. He doesn't want to sign a new contract. That's the other conclusion you might draw. It mm. might be a case that if the offer becomes bigger and bigger, then you know he'll say, okay, that's great. But as of yet, 
he hasn't been convinced by the club, by the board, by Ivan and Sven and Raul, or even by Unai Emery, that this is the place for him to be in the longer term. So I think this is going to be a real test of what this new football executive structure is about, how they deal with this and how how they manage it. Because they may have to make a very unpopular decision when it comes right down to it. Yeah, they may have to. I don't think anybody wants to lose. I don't think many fans, let's put it like that, want to lose Aaron Ramsey. But I just don't think the club can afford to run the risk. I just think he's too valuable. He's he's younger even than Alexis and Ozil were when they were, they were in this position. You know, yeah. his market value is pretty decent at this stage. And I just think we cannot we cannot put ourselves in that kind of trouble again. So it, there has to be a conclusion to it for for my money in this summer. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if the club let it drag on because we've seen that happen in the past. But if they did deal with it. In the same way they've dealt with our incoming business, you know, swiftly, efficiently, as early as possible, then I think that would be a positive step for the club. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I presume it's not as if they haven't tried to get Ramsey sure. to sign, you know. Yeah. So it does take two to tango, right? That's the reality of any contract offer. It has to be acceptable to both parties. And if one party is disinclined to sign a new deal, regardless of how good it might be, um, you know, I think we we tend to think quite short term, don't we, when it comes to careers and transfers and all that kind of a business. But maybe Ramsey is playing a longer game. It is a bit of a risk because what happens if you get an injury? What happens if you're out of action for six months or whatever? But he could well be looking at a situation where in 12 months' time he's free and therefore hugely attractive to clubs who may or may not necessarily be inclined to pay a transfer fee for him now. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, also even in six months' time, he can get a better contract out of Arsenal, as Mesut Ozil did. Yeah. So there's no real incentive for him to hurry along. I just think as much as it does take two to tango, at what point do we say... Well, the song's running down now. We're going to dance with somebody else. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> we, yeah. we can't wait indefinitely for this guy. That's exactly um, it. That's how that's, important he is. That's why I think it's a big test. You know, yeah. do they have the goodwill in the bank with the signings they've made to make the big decision if it comes right down to it? Do they, do they have what it takes to say, okay, we really want Aaron Ramsey to stay. We don't want him to go particularly perhaps to another Premier League club, but from a business point of view, we can get X amount of money for Aaron Ramsey and we can reinvest it back into the squad. We can't afford to let £30 million and leave it on the table and see him leave for free. So that's that's where they have to make that decision. Yeah, I think, you know, Ivan, Sven, Raul, that executive team, they've built up a lot of goodwill this summer. But uh, that could start to evaporate if they get this wrong. Mm. Speaking of Ivan Gazidis, linked very strongly with the chief executive role at AC Milan. Um, That's an interesting one, isn't it? Do you think there's anything to it? I don't from Italy seem quite definitive, don't they? I mean, they really have got Gazidis' name in the frame and an announcement is apparently imminent about who will be the chief executive there. I mean, it would be extraordinary wouldn't it for him to leave right now having 
seemingly played a waiting game to get to this point where he has a degree of control at Arsenal mm. to then walk away. I mean, I would be astonished, wouldn't you? Yes, yes, absolutely, I would. I'd be very surprised, to be perfectly honest. Um there's nothing coming out from the club or anything to suggest that there's anything in this. I did ask an Arsenal spokesperson if they uh, had any comment to make. They said th- this isn't something they were aware of. But of course, those kind of deals would go down in a different way. It's not like they're going to go through you know, a club spokesman to say, can we speak to, to Ivan Gazidis? You know, if someone wants mm-hmm. to offer him a job, it will be done through, through back channels and, and what have you. But yeah, like you, I'd be very surprised because having taken control and assumed control and shown everybody that he now has control, made all these changes to go and walk away to uh, to manage or be the chief executive of a, of a different club would be would be a big surprise, a big surprise for me. Yeah. I mean, I've seen people justifying it online by saying, well, you know, he, now, now that there's no Arsene Wenger, the heat's on and he, he can't take the heat and he wants to, you know, get out of the kitchen. But his behaviour this summer has not been the behaviour of a man who doesn't welcome that pressure and that responsibility. I mean, if anything, he seems to have embraced it. So mm. it would be bizarre to step away from that at a point where he has that uh, autonomy to a certain extent. And he also has probably the most goodwill he has had at any point in his time at Arsenal. Yeah. Um, I know money money talks, but who knows? Maybe it's a bit of a power play to to increase his uh, hefty salary at Arsenal. Maybe so. Maybe so. Look, you know, you're right to say that he has embraced this. And, you know, I was very critical of him in the past for for his ability to become invisible and to disappear at times where I felt the chief executive of the football club needed to, to address certain issues. And I stand by that criticism. But you can't say that he hasn't taken it on and put himself front and centre throughout this summer from the time that Arsene Wenger's departure was announced mm. it has been more and more and more Club Ivan whether you like that or not whether there are elements of it that don't sit right with you or not maybe you're very happy with it maybe you're not but it's not like you could accuse him as you said of of going missing like he has done in the past so yeah I'd be I'd be very very surprised if if there was anything to this so I think he's and also I think whatever your feelings are about Ivan uh, individually uh, and the way he's conducted himself this summer, I think it would. I think we probably all agree there would be a hurtful thing to Arsenal right now to lose him because he is the man who assembled this management team and he is a part of it. And it feels like we're just at the start of something that we haven't really given a fair test yet. So to lose any component of that at this point would be. A blow, I think. Yeah, I guess so. You know, the uh, the obvious replacement is Josh Kroenke. So from that point mm-hmm. of view, you know, it's not as if there's, um, you know, a great pool of, of uh, footballing knowledge and talent to choose from to replace him if he did go. So, uh, yeah, look, I, I'll be surprised. I think he's gone on the tour, so um, that might say that might say plenty about it. But uh, maybe, just maybe the fact that someone who has been so front and centre hasn't yet come out to categorically deny any of this, that might just raise a few doubts in people's minds. Yeah, the club have been quiet. I know, you know, you might have spoken to them privately, but there's been nothing official. Maybe that just suggests they're not taking these stories particularly seriously, but uh, it's it's one to keep an eye on, definitely. Mm. Right, right. So the other story that broke over the weekend was that involving Mesut Ozil and... 
His mm. future, he addressed he addressed various issues in three parts. There was a statement made first about his meeting with the Turkish president Erdogan. Then there was uh, his role within the German team uh, during the World Cup and some criticism of the people involved in that. And then his announcement that because of what he felt was uh, racism and discrimination, he no longer felt able to wear the German shirt. And he called out the head of the the German FA, basically. Um, The guy's name, uh, I have it here somewhere. One second. I've forgotten his name as well. Reinhard Grindel. Reinhard Grindel. He sounds like a villain. He does does sound like a villain, all right. Uh, Like one of the baddies from a, you know, Die Hard 7. But um, it's it's an amazing statement from a professional footballer to to be so strong on issues like racism because we all know that racism is something that uh, exists we all know that it is a day-to-day reality for many people uh but for a footballer to come out and f- and talk in the in the terms that he did about the way that he feels he's perceived by the German Football Federation and some of the German fans as well, some of the German media, is quite extraordinary. What did you make of it all? I found it astonishing. I mean, I, I think it's pretty much unprecedented in uh, sort of Western European football. I can't think of another example like this in the last however many years yeah. where a player has taken a stand on principle and said, I no longer feel that I can play for, for my country. Um and I'm sure there are players who felt like that at times or or considered it, but to come out and be so strong on it, I think is uh, quite remarkable. And I do think that whatever you think of what's unfolded, I think you have to applaud Ozil's stance. Um, mm. It is uh, a very bold, brave thing to do. I think he knows that it will invite more criticism, uh, probably from some sections. Yeah. Uh, and, and yet he's willing to withstand that based up for his principles. And I do think it's legitimate. You know, from what I understand of the fallout of the situation in Germany, he has been victimised. He has been politicised to a degree that is enormously unfair. Um, and it's gone beyond football and... As, as he put it himself, become about his race and his religion and his background. Mm. And that's completely unacceptable. I do think that as a small caveat, I reading the statement, I don't necessarily buy or concur with Ozil's justification for his picture with Erdogan. I think as a German citizen and as a German international, I think perhaps he could have been uh, a bit more considerate of the implications of that. Yeah. Uh, but that does not excuse anything that has come after it. No, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think that part of his statement was was weak, but uh, I think Rafa Honigstein made a very good point, didn't he, in, in a piece that he wrote about how Erdogan, Erdogan, how Erdogan has uh, treated other sportsmen. There was a basketball player who had his passport taken off him um, uh, and other things yeah. like that. So maybe there was if not a pressure, but a, an implied pressure uh, when it when it comes to meeting. So if you get invited to a meeting with him, can you can you turn it down without it becoming a thing or without it reflecting 
uh, on you or there being consequences for your friends or your family because he does have family back in Turkey. So I think that's yeah. that's something to bear in mind. But, you know, I would share that unease that people had, particularly in the context of, um, you know, it happening just before the, the World Cup and the way that it would be perceived within Germany. But as for the rest, you know, to come out and to say, says the decision has been extremely difficult to make because I've always given everything for my teammates. When high-ranking DFB officials treat me as they did, disrespect my Turkish roots and selfishly turn me into political propaganda, uh, enough is enough. That's not why I play football. I will not sit back and do nothing about it. Racism should never, ever be accepted. And that's something we can all stand behind. I mean, if you think there are exceptions or there's some way of condoning racism in any way, then you're wrong. You're absolutely wrong about that. There is no way that racism yeah. should ever, ever be accepted. But to come out and say it, knowing that there are, let's be frank about it, there are racists out there and they're not, they're not necessarily uh, as hidden away as they used to be. They feel perhaps a bit more emboldened than they used to because of things that are going on in the world and the political climate and the way that certain groups are given uh, more attention than they should be and cer certainly more legitimacy than they should be. When you make a statement the way that he has right there, it's unequivocal. It's absolutely unequivocal. You know not just that you're going to get people who will go, yeah, right on, no no to racism, racism is terrible, we can't stand racism. You're going to get the backlash and you are going to, mm. you're going to invite attention that is going to be difficult to deal with. But he stood up and he's strong enough and he, he believes in what he's saying enough to make it public in the way that he's made it public. And, you know, this is a guy who won the World Cup with Germany, who was proud to play for his country. And then to just four years later feel like because of racism, because of discrimination, because of disrespect, you can no longer do that. People need to pay attention to what he's saying. Regardless of the context of of the the meeting with Erdogan and the the how perhaps uh, that invited uh, criticism and for people to be able to make political capital and make hay out of it, you have to just look at the nuts and bolts of what he's saying. And fundamentally, he's saying there is racism and disrespect within the German National Football Federation. And in order to make my point, I am going to deny myself something that I've always been proud to do, and that's to play for your country. And it is his country. You know, it's too easy. Mm -hmm. I think the point he makes about uh, Klose and Podolski, they're not referred to as Polish Germans or German Polish, even though they were born there. I think, wasn't Podolski born in Poland and became, you know, whereas Ozil yes. is born and bred in Germany. He's German, but with Turkish ancestry. You know, this is, this is big. This is really big, what he's saying, and people should pay attention. Yeah, it is. It's funny. And I don't know if you saw, did you see the Trevor Noah clip of him talking yeah. about the World Cup win? Yeah. Because uh, I think his joke is he said something, congratulations, Africa, on winning the World Cup. And yeah. it provoked a response from the, the French ambassador to the US, I think, who uh, was pointing out, well, you know, only two of those players <laughs> were born in Africa. Uh, you know, they are all French. And, and I, I do understand that, but there's nothing wrong with highlighting their ancestry. And I'm sure those players are proud of their ancestry, as Mesut Ozil is. And it, it is incredible that in 2010, 
Ozil was given an award for, I think it was called the Bambi Award, an example as being an example of uh, successful integration into German society. And here we are, eight years later, and he's a symbol of division. Mm. And that's a very scary thought, really. How how quickly and how dramatically the landscape is shifting. And I, I think there are several things at play here. And I think you know there are people who. Uh, within the German FA, I think you have a lot to answer for. But I think what's arguably even more dangerous is the kind of knock-on effect of that, the trickle-down effect, the way in which issues and subjects like this can be hijacked by people with, you know, clear political agendas to kind of steer the conversation. Yeah. And Ozil is removing himself from that conversation. He's saying, well, I, I want no part in it. And I I really do admire that. You know, I've not always... Uh, have not always been enormously proud of Mesut Ozil's performances on the pitch. There's sure. been times where I felt like he could have done more, but I feel like in this instance, there is a lot as Arsenal fans and as fans of Mesut Ozil that we can be proud of because he has taken a stand. And I think it, I think it will reverberate, actually. I think it will be a big moment. And I wonder if, I wonder what the knock-on effect of this will be. I wonder if other players will... Yeah. Will question their own allegiances, you know, especially as the political climate changes. I mean, I think it's really sad. I think that's the overriding thing. That yeah. it's really sad um, because that Germany team, you know, with Özil, Kadira, Podolski, you know, when they went and won the World Cup, it was a symbol of you know players of many different heritages coming together, and this feels like. I'm not saying Ozil should keep on playing for Germany if it's not making him happy and he feels it's not the right thing to do, but it's sad that that is potentially dismantling at that point. That has a very heavy symbolism of its own. Yeah, but this idea somehow that multiculturalism is a bad thing, I just don't quite Mm. understand that. He's born in Germany. He's got Turkish parents. You know, why wouldn't he feel connected to both those cultures and to both those countries? You know, it, it... it applies yeah. not just to Mesut Ozil or to Germany, but as you say, to the to the French team and uh, to to countless so teams. The English team. to the yeah, English yeah, team, of course. You know, it, it's just it's throughout the world. You know, I was born in England, but I'm Irish. Mm. You know, mm. you've got Irish ancestry. You've got Irish, you mm-hmm. know, roots, and plenty of people throughout England uh, have have uh, you know parent who's Scottish or English or from who knows where. You know, look, we support a football team. Um, which is full of nationalities and full of uh, people from different countries, whether it's Europe. You know, we've had people from South America, from Africa, from all over Europe, from Scandinavia, from Ireland. You know, it's it's I just don't quite get it in a football context, how on the one hand you can support a team, support a football club. And then on the other hand, say, well, this is this is somehow a bad thing that we have people from all over the world coming together to play sport, to give us enjoyment, to hopefully provide us with success and trophies and all those things. Um, you know, I, I realize that as a political issue, it's a bit more complicated than that. You know, the world is in a in a strange place and we're talking about societal issues and, and all those kind of things. But I don't understand why multiculturalism is seen as uh, a pejorative in some quarters. You know, I, I live in I live in a Dublin which is unbelievably different from the Dublin of twenty or twenty five years ago. You know, we were the last outpost mm. of Europe, basically. We didn't have a great deal when it came to to other cultures. You know, the Irish went everywhere, which is another 
story altogether, basically. You know, we, we go yeah. everywhere and we're all over the world and everyone goes, oh, it's great, the Irish are everywhere, but perhaps not as welcoming as we should be over here. But, you know, Dublin now is is home to people from all over the world and the city is better for it and it's richer for it. And there's more to do here. You know, the, the, the impact that other cultures can have on society is fantastic and wonderful because it opens your eyes and it opens your your mouth and your stomach to to all kinds of things. You know, you go go uh, anywhere in Dublin, you can find food from all over the world. It's an amazing place to be because of the people that have come here to work and to make a better life for themselves or to create opportunity for either them, themselves or their kids. You know, we have to we have to be realistic about these things as well. But you know, it's it's um, it's a part of the world that we live in right now, and there's no going back. This stable door is open. The horse yeah, is bolted. I, so, but I think I think most I think most people consider that a good thing, don't they? It's just it seems. It, the, the shame is uh, the shame and the, the worry. I think it's a real concern is that uh, a growing minority of people disagree. I mean, maybe it isn't even a minority anymore. I, I feel quite lost sometimes in the world as someone who who embraces multiculturalism. You know, I live in London. I mean, you couldn't live in a more multicultural yeah, exactly, city. Yeah. Uh, and I love that aspect of it. I mean, I live in a very Turkish area, Harringay Green Lanes. I can get a delicious kebab wherever I want <laughs> or a good haircut, what have you. But I love that aspect <laughs> of it. I love uh, – and, and, and it makes me feel very alarmed that what Ozil's had to face. It makes me feel very, very alarmed indeed. Yeah. And I just think – I don't know. I don't know. I don't think this is the end of the story, and that's the worst thing. I wish that this would be something that called it to a head, and people said, "Look, there's no place for someone like this guy in the German FA who said he doesn't really believe in multiculturalism." You know that that can't be the case anymore. But I look around me, and I look at politicians in power around me, and I think well, people with those kinds of views mm. are do have status. They do wield power. Yeah, and that, I mean, yeah. Did that, you see? Did you see the right. comments from uh, Ulai uh, Ulai Honus? Uh, of Bayern Munich, um, uh, who basically, well, I mean, he basically just said it's good that he's you know leaving because he's been shite, and uh, you know when when we played Arsenal, we targeted him because he's weak. You know, he's never made a tackle, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And this for me is the problem. So there is an old white guy completely missing the issue. Mm. The issue is racism. The issue is discrimination. However way you want to look at it, whatever you think of Ozil as a player or a person or anything else, the issue is racism. And that uh, that can't be anything that any decent person abides or condones. And if you want to make, make it into something that you want to score points off because you don't like him as a player or whatever, then, you know, that says more about you. I think so. I think so. And I think, you know, there will be people who suggest that... Uh, I mean, do you remember that tweet? Was it just after they were eliminated from the World Cup and he he hashtagged it, didn't he, with say no to racism? Yeah. I think people were a bit taken aback by that at, at that stage. I don't think people were maybe aware of the context. I, I recommend Raphael Honigstein's piece on ESPN FC about this because it, it lays out Ozil's statement, but it also provides a lot of the context for it. And that's something that I think as people who don't live in Germany and aren't reading the German national media and aren't aware of the way in which, you know, the far right German political parties are hijacking this issue. I think it's very impossible. It's impossible for us to really judge 
what's going on mm. properly. Um, and I think that if if Meza Erzul is prepared to place a public statement saying that he feels he's being the victim of racism, I think it is our responsibility to take him at his word on that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, at, at the very least, yeah. at the very least. For sure. And it, it doesn't mean that we can, you know, fix it or change it. But I just think that speaking about it without context, you have to, when someone puts their hand up and says that this is happening and he's not even really making an excuse for his performance. He doesn't talk about his performances on the pitch. It's a yeah. separate situation. Yeah. It's completely separate. And it's tricky, isn't it? Because people say sport and politics shouldn't mix. And what's happening here is that politics has bled into sport and uh, it's created a hell of a mess. Mm. Yeah. I don't agree that politics and sport don't mix, uh, don't mix or shouldn't mix. Um, I wrote about it in the blog today. You know, sports people have a platform and an opportunity to uh, to perhaps set a good example. And mm. this is a very strong statement from a world star in football. Um, and I think, like you, I think people should sit up and pay attention to it. Uh, whether they will or not, or whether it will make any difference, whether the backlash that I think we've yet to see properly will take this in a different direction, you know, we'll just have to we'll just have to wait. But I think credit to Mesut Ozil for for saying it. If that's how he feels, then he said it, and nobody can be any doubt how he how he thinks about this situation. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's an extraordinary story. I mean, what what's your reaction to it? Uh, have, do you have any sort of view as a as an Arsenal fan? Do you feel inclined? Does it make you? rally around him I mean you know how do you feel as an Arsenal fan about this sure I mean I feel if I ask myself if he wasn't an Arsenal player would I really pay that much attention to it but he is an Arsenal Mm. player you know he is a divisive figure I can understand that you know I can understand why um, some people don't like him as a player and and everything else but I think that's a separate a separate issue I do wonder if we're going to hear something from the club about this whether they have to to back their player publicly, it feels to me like they should. You know, this isn't just him being critical of something minor, uh, a a minor issue involving the German national team. This is a very, very uh, strong statement from Mesut Ozil, something about which he feels uh, very passionate, clearly, um, something which has saddened him. Um, It can't be pleasant to get the abuse that he's got to get death threats, to get name called, to to have people who supposedly should have your back, you know, the people at your national federation, people who should be with you 100%, not be with you, and not only not be with you, but to stir the fires uh, of other people who are, are who are taking a pop at you. So I do feel like maybe Arsenal should say something about this publicly, um, even if it is short and sharp and to the point. Um, the the weight of what Ozil is talking about, I think, demands some kind of a, a statement from Arsenal. What do you reckon? I think so. And, you know, Arsenal uh, do quite a lot with the sort of anti-racism campaigns with within English football. And I think this feels an appropriate time to say, you know, that is a message that we endorse and that we support. Uh, fingers crossed we get something like that. I think it, I think it's... I think it's the right thing to do in this case. Mm. All right. Well, look, we'll see where that one goes. But Mesut Ozil looked quite happy, it has to be said, getting on the plane with his Arsenal teammates. 
Yeah. Um, maybe we'll have a question about what it might mean for him next season following the break, but we, we better take a break here. We'll be back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to part two of the Arscast Extra. This is the part of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter, at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog, and also on the ArsBlog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the ArsBlog. James, I've flipped a coin. Mm-hmm. And then I dropped the coin. It went under the desk, <laughs> and I can't find it. Uh, so you go first. I'm exhausted from part one. I'm absolutely <laughs> exhausted. I don't know if I can do it. Uh, okay, let's have this question. Um, this is from uh, Peter Host. Peter Host says, "Good morning, gents. On a scale from one to ten, how optimistic are you about the new season?" I'm a solid nine and think will be title challengers. The realistic part of me has gone AWOL. Is that something you can relate to? Uh, yes and no. Um, how optimistic am I? It depends what what your expectations are, I think. Um, right. Like I'm excited. Everything is new. I feel like there's good energy around the place. Um the the guys are working hard as we know they seem to all get along the 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 social media stuff you see the players seem to like each other a great deal there are good players in this squad at the same time i'm just a little bit cautious about getting overly optimistic because i have question marks over a number of the signings so yeah I'm kind of reluctant to give it a rating in any way. Like, I would say probably seven based on us getting into the top four. Um, That seems fair. Can I make a confession? Yes. Uh, I, in the last week or so, my optimism has slightly begun to diminish because I think my initial excitement at having done a signing is is fading a little bit and I'm looking at some of these signings and I'm going, they've got a lot to prove. Uh, 
I'm thinking really of of the goalkeeper and the centre half. I just think those are such important positions for us. And I, the, the more I read about them, the less convinced I become. <laughs> right. Like I'm, I'm, that's kind of where I am with it. I think we've, we've done what we kind of needed to do in midfield, leaving the Ramsey thing aside. Mm. We've got really good options up front with Aubameyang, Lacazette, Mesut Ozil, Mkhitaryan, uh, you know, there's creative players there. I think there's enough depth in midfield, but I'm completely and utterly unsure about the centre of our defence and the goalkeeping situation. Um, I know we had this discussion the other week about who's going to start, and and my feeling is yeah. that when you buy a goalkeeper for that amount of money, he's going to be he's going to be the guy that starts. But you know. He does have a bit to prove, and I, I wonder about Socrates, and I wonder who's going to partner him. Who is going to be our midfield or our, our central defensive partnership? So until I have a bit more of an idea about what way we're going to operate there, you know, I, I remain a bit unsure um, of our of our capability, of our potential. Yeah, I think I would give myself a six. Like, you know, I am optimistic, but it's a very couched, cautious optimism. But who can blame me after 30 years as an Arsenal fan? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think that's unfair. Um, so, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a seven based on us getting into the top four. I'm also like a five or a three based on us um, winning the winning the title. So I think I had a, a, a question which was bum, 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 slightly related to this. Bear with me one second. I, I don't really give us a shot of winning the title. Oh, I no. Know, of course, no. you've got a, an outside chance, but I've, it's not mm. on my agenda even. Okay, Tani Levitt, who is at Hate It or Levitt. I like it. Very good. Uh, he says, can you discuss our transfer activity in the context of the other top six sides? I'm worried that we haven't done enough to bridge the gap. Do you know what, though? Yeah. A- apart from Tottenham not signing anybody yet, as far as I'm aware, I don't really know what the other sides have done, apart from Liverpool, who seem to have you know, bought pretty well this summer. Yeah, so I'd say Liverpool are the one who you'd say they've addressed some of the concerns in their team. I mean, they've brought in a goalkeeper at vast expense. Uh, they've added Cater in midfield, which mm. I guess slightly makes up for the loss of Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, who's going to miss a, the entire season. Yeah, that was that was uh, bad news for him. I mean, they did say it was unexpected, but uh, that's, uh, that's a real blow. I have to say I feel sorry for him. I never disliked the Ox. Uh, yeah. And I do think that last year, this this idea that somehow he was a different player for Liverpool is, um, I don't buy into that. I think he was much the same player with Liverpool as he was for us. But to miss a, an entire year, I think he did both cruciates and his medial ligaments in that, in that incident. Wow. So, um, you know, best of luck to him. That's a horror. Yeah, but I, I think nonetheless, you know, they've... They've recruited well. They've, you know, they've got brought Van Dijk in in January. Made a massive difference. They've still got Salah, so you'd say they've had a decent enough summer. Man City, well, they've signed uh, Riyad Mahrez. Oh yeah, yeah, they? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, as if they needed uh, <laughs> another another tricky Y player. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I'm not sure beyond that. I think that might be that might be it. Um, and then Chelsea have bought Jorginho. Uh, from Napoli, 
So he's to sort of boost their midfield. He's a player we were linked with many, many times, actually. Right. But uh, he's ended up with uh, Chelsea. And then Manchester United, I think, have bought a Portuguese fullback, a kind of uh, Paulo Ferreira for the millennial generation, uh, Diogo Dallo, that's his name, and Fred, of course. Fred. Chardonnay midfielder. Okay. They've also signed Stoke goalkeeper Lee Grant on a free transfer, I think. Well, fair play. Yeah, Liverpool brought but, um, in Shakiri as well, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'd say Liverpool, the one who's really kicked on. I mean, there's a lot of business left to do, surely. You would think mm. that Chelsea... Oh, Liverpool brought in Fabinho as well. God, they have they have done all right, Liverpool, haven't they? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, who do you see as the most likely of last season's top four to drop out of it? Because for me, it's Tottenham. Yeah. Well, look, it's not City, is it? And it's not... Uh, Liverpool. So I think Spurs are, I think Spurs and United, maybe, the contenders. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Mourinho was sounding quite, um, what's the It's word? third season of Mourinho, so it, it should all go wrong, right? Yeah, and he's already started complaining about how, you know, it's it's terrible and life is terrible and football is terrible and everyone hates him and everyone's out to get him and it's going to be very bad, very, very, very bad, etc., etc. So yeah, I'm hopeful that that might happen again with Mourinho in his third season, that they go off a cliff. That would be amazing. But um, yeah, I, I wonder I wonder if we've done enough to get ourselves into into the top four. Do you think perhaps that the, the, the signing of Torreira and the rejiggeration of our midfield, because you assume it's going to be a slightly different midfield setup than it has been under Arsene Wenger, is designed in some ways to offset the the the, the weakness we might have at centre half. Maybe. I mean you know, Liverpool get away with playing Dejan Lovren and he can be very ever error prone at times. Uh because they've got that pressing game and they win the ball high up the field. And I think that's what we have to hope happens with Arsenal. Because like you, I look at a potential pairing of Mustafi and Socrates and I'm not feeling too Good about it. No. Um, so, so I, I have I have to hope that's going to be the case. But when you lay it out like that, I mean, City are going to be strong again. Liverpool are going to be stronger. United, you feel like mm. they're going to spend more money than they've already spent. I guess Spurs are the ones that we have to target, and I've got no problem with that. You know, I think if we can usurp Spurs in their first year in the new ground, and uh, yeah. And, and, and beat them to the top four. That would be quite a good first year. That would be him. jolly, all right. And we have to see as well how Chelsea cope with a new manager coming in, you know. Well, they've had so- a disastrous summer, really. You yeah. Know, they, they took a long time to appoint the guy. It's held up their transfer business. So hopefully we can capitalise on that too. Mm. All right. I think it's your uh, question. Yeah, it is. Actually, I mentioned it there, the new stadium from Spurs. Um, and we had, this is not a question, but a suggestion from the underscore Arsenal underscore, who based on um, uh, the shape of the new Tottenham Stadium has suggested a chant. Um, do you want to hear the chant? Yes, please. Are you going to sing it? Okay. I'm going to sing it to you now. All right. right? Okay. Uh, and you have to rate it. He's, he's asked if you could rate it out of 10. Okay. Based right. on the, you've, how successful you think this chant is. Right. The chant goes like this. Okay. To dare is to poo, to dare is to poo, 
Fuck your new stadium. It looks like a loo. <laughs> Uh, it really does look like a loo, doesn't it? It really does. It's yeah. the exact shape of uh, as a toilet seat, um, which I think is very apt. You'd like to find out, wouldn't you? Like sometime in the future, when it's all done and dusted, some guy is going to just come out and say, yeah, I, design, I was the chief designer of the Tottenham Stadium. Uh, I made it look like a loo because I'm an yeah. Arsenal fan. I also cooked the lasagna. <laughs> Who is this man? Who is this secret hero? Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I am. Um, it is. I am delighted because I, I saw a picture of the stadium from street level and I was a little bit alarmed because it looked kind of cool and swanky and futuristic. But I've ensured now, as long as I only ever look at it from above, mm. I'll be fine. Yeah. I mean, look, it, it, it fits, doesn't it? Um, so... Pfft. What do I think of the chant? I mean, I guess, I guess it's a good seven out of ten. But I do wonder if we should be singing about, you know, their their toilet seat looking or their stadium looking like a toilet seat. Their toilet seat looking like a stadium, one way or the other. It, it works both ways, I think. Um, but yeah, yeah, it is it is very amusing, very amusing. I mean, they find endless, unlimited ways to 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 make us laugh and to make us happy. So I'm I'm hopeful that throughout this new season, you know, they will they will continue to do that and we will get top down coverage from the Sky Sports or the BT Blimp, whatever it is, with their uh with their toilet seat. I'm sure people have been photoshopping it throughout the, the weekend, haven't they? Yeah, they have done, yeah. I do think, you know, from the from the blimp it's gonna be a a hell of a view. I mean, I just find it astonishing that at no point in a meeting did someone put their hand up and say, I think it looks a bit like a toilet. Maybe they were embarrassed to say something. Maybe that's what they like. Maybe that's what they want. That's, that is what they want. Maybe it's just so ingrained in their, in their psyche. They go, Oh, this is an amazing shape. I don't know why this shape appeals to me so much, but every day (laughs) they sit down and deposit waste into, into something like that. It'd be and, great if they reveal the interior of the ground and like all the all the seats in the stands are just toilet seats as well. <laughs> or each one has got a toilet roll holder on it as well. Yeah. <laughs> this is your Tottenham ticker tape. Actually, it's Andrex. Yeah. <laughs> Never mind. Yeah. Okay, here's a question from Gunnar DS, at, uh, at Gunnar underscore DS. He says, since the last British crop effectively failed, how would you like the club to treat the next group coming through differently? Nelson, Maitland-Niles, Nketiah, Smith-Rowe, uh, Sheaf. More emphasis in getting them out on loan earlier at more suitable clubs, he wants to know? I think, yes, I think there's a lot to be said for that. I think that um, <clears throat> one of the things I think that would have helped that that British contingent, some of them, I mean, for a lot of them, injuries was the main problem. If you look at Jack Wilshire. If you look at Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, Theo Walcott, all their careers were dogged by by injuries. But I do think that first-team experience at Premier League clubs or equivalent could be really beneficial. I mean, you look at someone like Adamola Lukman, who played for Everton and was signed from Charlton and then went to Everton and then went out on loan. I think it was to Leipzig in the Bundesliga. Right. And was fantastic for them. You know, they're trying to sign him now for 20 million euros because he was he was so successful in the Bundesliga. He really lit it up. And I do think if we could be a bit smarter uh, in terms of getting these guys loan deals and bringing them back into the club, I think that would be a mm. smart move. Um, and I think that should be part of Raul Sanyehi's 
job and maybe Sven's job to an extent too, you know, it's the guys who look after talent about, you know, positioning and developing and have a, a clear plan for the tra- trajectory of these young players' careers. Some of them will be with the first team squad next season, but the ones who aren't say Ben Sheaf, how likely is he to get game time? I think having a good loan move lined up for him mm. is probably the best thing for his development. Yeah. I mean, what you would say about the last crop is that they were given chances, plenty of chances, yeah. you know, um, this, this British core. And I think it's maybe a little bit different because when we talk about a, the, the last British core, it was Kieran Gibbs, it was Oxley chamberlain it was Aaron Ramsey, Jack Wilshire, and Carl Jenkinson. Now, mm. of those four were fairly well-established players. Um, yeah. It wasn't like there were kids just making their way through and we decided... Well, rightly or wrongly, to not necessarily build around them, but to to ensure that they were part or given a chance to be part of the future of the club. Ramsey is the only one left, really, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Yeah. Ramsey's the only one left. I mean, Carl Jenkinson is there, but, you know, this will be Carl Jenkinson's eighth season at Arsenal. Wow. Which is, which is amazing. Um, I mean, there's a guy who needs to go somewhere to play. He needs to go somewhere else because it's it's not going to happen for him at Arsenal. So it's a slightly different situation because those were established players that we we focused on, whereas these are young guys who haven't yet made it properly into the into the first team. Um, I think it's in some ways a bit complicated by the fact we have the Europa League. Yeah. I think if we were in the Champions League, we'd be playing stronger teams in Europe. Uh, I mean, we'd be picking stronger teams for our games in Europe rather than playing against stronger opposition. But it would then mean we could loan out young players more easily, whereas the Europa League, it does kind of divide your squad in two, and you need to have that depth. So as long as you're in the Europa League, or certainly in the group stages of the Europa League, those guys are important, and it does give them a chance to play. Um. So that makes it a little bit more complicated. But I do think that uh, some of them would for sure benefit from a loan move. Um, and if you are going to keep someone like Reese Nelson, and we are in need of a winger and we're not going to go out and buy that, that attacking player, let's have this guy as our slight wild card on the bench. Um, if the club believe that he's a talent for the future, let's give him some games and let's give him some Premier League games. Um, you know, even if he starts on the bench uh, for, for much of the, the first half of the season, perhaps he could play his way into, into greater contention. But yeah, I mean, they can develop. There's no point keeping him and not using him, is there? I yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. And he's another one who has yet to sign a new contract. So yeah. that's, that's an issue which may well be something the club have to manage. Convince him to sign by giving him games. I think that's where we are with him. Yeah, I tell you what, who is an interesting, and speaking of the young English players in the squad, I tell you what I think is an interesting one in terms of how we manage his development from this point. And that is Rob Holding. Because I know he's more established than a Nelson or an Inketia, mm. but uh, he finds himself probably fourth choice, I would say, in the pecking order. Fifth choice if you include Laurent Koscielny. And I just wonder if perhaps once Koscielny's back, maybe at Christmas time, if at some point this season, a low move for holding might be a good thing. I, I just think that he, 
you know, when he had that run in the side in the lead up to the FA Cup final a couple of years ago, it was fantastic for his confidence. And I think if he could get that elsewhere in the Premier League, I think we really could see him blossom. And yeah. I do think that going on loan kind of saved Callum Chambers's Arsenal career. And I feel like it could do the same for holding and really invigorate him. So I, I, that's one I think that I think Arsenal needs to be quite careful about because the longer he goes on not really playing enough football, the harder it's going to be for him to fulfil his massive, massive potential. Yeah, fair point, fair point. That's one of the uh, the jobs that Unai Emery's got this uh, mm. this season. Um, as you said, though, centre-half is very much up in the air Yeah, uh, at, at this moment in time. In yeah, it is definitely all to play for in pre-season and the early part of the season. So, um, you know, it really depends on how fixed Emery is in terms of what he wants from his centre-halves or if he views you know, one particular pairing or, or two or three of them a bit above everybody else. And those are mm-hmm. the ones that he has faith in. It's about how much faith he has in the players that he's inherited. So we'll wait and I see. I didn't even mention Mavropanos in that. I mean, he's another one in the yeah. mix, isn't he? So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I wonder if there will be room for them all going forward. We'll mm. see. All right, do you have uh, any more questions or...? I don't actually. I'm all out. I had loads of questions, but they were all about Mesut Ozil and that situation. And uh, I think... I think we've covered it off, really, haven't we? Right. Okay. I've got a. I've got a couple here we could go through quite quickly. Go on. All right. This one comes from Baz, who's at Baz nine 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 on Twitter. Baz with two Zs. Uh, actually, sorry, Baz. It's not. Sorry. These questions <laughs> about Lucas Perez. His Poor old Baz. He was so excited. He was getting really excited there all of a sudden. Um, okay. This one comes from Dan Butler, who's at Dan Butler 211. Sorry, Baz, again. He says, with Watford launching their new away kit by giving it free to all fans who went to every league game last season, or every away league game last season, and Everton and Barcelona letting their women's teams unveil their kits, what creative way would you like to see Arsenal unveil their next kit? Because they are launching the third kit in in Singapore this week. Ah, okay. Uh, that's some nice ideas they've had there. That's a nice little scheme from Watford, isn't it? Um, what would be a creative way to launch the kit? Mm. I don't know. I mean, I'd like to see a more dramatic reveal. I once went to see an Arsenal kit unveiled and there was kind of a thing where there was all these players stood behind screens and then the screens went up and the players were there in their new kit and the pyro exploded. But I wonder if maybe they should be dressed in other clothes and then they have to strip down to the kit, maybe to like sexy music. Like, uh, oh, okay. You're, you're thinking about this in a more erotic way. I was thinking more like Clark Kent and Superman. So I also all- thought of that. That would be, maybe that's good. The Superman theme kicks in. Yeah. And they're just all, they're all dressed in suits and glasses. Right, yeah. club suits and glasses, and it's like da, 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 da. is that Superman? Da, 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 da. That's Star, Star Wars. Wars. What's Superman? <laughs> um, what is Superman? I can never do this. I always do Indiana Jones or Star Wars. Wow, I, I can't think of. Uh, okay, I'm just going to have to look it up now. No, I can't get it because all I've got in my head now is Star Wars. Superman theme. Hang on, here, here we, we go. go. Can you play it in? Yeah. Right, so imagine, play it and I'll talk. So they're all stood there, lined up. <laughs> and they're all wearing suits and glasses. And at that point, they start quickly changing it in phone boxes. And then they come out the phone boxes and they're in, I don't know, a mint third kit or whatever it is. Yeah. 
That'd be cool. They, and then they fly away. Well, yeah, you can't have it without the flying. You've got They're to have all the on strings. <laughs> <laughs> and they get pulled into the air. Um, I mean, look, it's something, right? Yeah. I think that would be very exciting. Why you know, don't the team come out to this as well and do that before every game? That would be amazing. That would be amazing. So they run out. They run out into the kit, dressed as onto the pitch, dressed as Clark Kent. Yeah, but even you know, that change. What what we should do is send them out to the Superman music and make sure that they they all have a cape. And instead of coming out of the tunnel one by one, you know, one behind the other, blah blah blah, they all just sprint out peeling off to various sections of the ground with their capes flying behind them, doing that thing that you used to do when you were a kid. Remember when you'd watch a Superman movie and you put your two hands out in front of you going, I can fly. And then they're they're, they're properly warmed up for a game. You'd have none of these slow starts. None of them. I agree. Superman doesn't start slow. No, he does not. Superman can make the world spin backwards. Which, which well, look, somehow, think, somehow made time go backwards. That's not how it works. And can we just say, if if Arsenal, during their tour, launched their kit to the Superman music, changing out of suits, I think, you know, we deserve some commission or something. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I don't think that's going to happen, though. Maybe next year with our swanky new Adidas kits... Maybe that's something for the uh, for the Adidas marketeers to uh, to pay attention to. If you're listening, guys, we'll have a free kit if that's all right. Yeah, that'd be great. That would be good. I'm trying to think of other creative ways that we could we could launch the kits. I think I mean Gunnosaurus modeling it instead of the players would be good because his body type is more like mine than an actual player is. Yeah. Did you see all the people talking about Petr Cech? Yeah. I did. So Chris Kringle, who's at Mr. CJ Wright, says, what are your thoughts on Petr Cech's new Hulk-sized look? Too much summer gym? Or does the new kit man uh, just have some issues and has given him a too small shirt? What is it? So my suspicion is that Petr Cech's always looked like that. But, you know, this shirt fits him tighter and mm. we haven't been paying attention. What about you? Yeah, I can't imagine he spent all summer just doing weights in the gym. I don't think that's, I don't think that's realistic. It looks good. He looks good. He does look great for a man of his age. Yeah. Will it make him more mobile? Who knows? Probably less if he's more muscly, but Mm. we will see. Trey Goals, who's at Gunner Trey, wants to know, and I think this, you know, given everything we've spoken about in the podcast today, is probably the key issue, the key issue of the day. And he says, Andrew and James, if Ramsey leaves... Arsenal will have lost their two most dog-friendly players in back-to-back seasons. What does this mean for dogs? Is there another dog-loving gunner? Well, there must be, but I don't know. I'm not paying enough attention on Instagram. Have have you observed any players who have particular friends of the canines? I think uh, Emmy Martinez has got... I think he's got a Labrador like uh like, like Alexis, Alexis Sanchez. Well, or... Yeah. Yeah. So um he's the only That's one I can think of though. I'm looking at his Instagram now, I'm spying. Oh, I have it. Here's a quote here. He's talking about Alexis Sanchez. He says, uh 
there was a time when he lost one of his dogs. I don't know if it was Adam or Humber, and he was desperate to find it again, going to every vet's around looking before he found them again. His Labradors are both male and mine is a female, so he's always asking about when they're going to have puppies because he wants more dogs. I tell him mine is too young and to give her another year. Wow. Well, I mean, I must say, if you have the time and the will, go to Emmy Martinez's Instagram page and scroll back to his post on May the 8th of 2017 because it's him cuddling his dog, but he's the dog is wearing goalkeeping gloves. <laughs> no way. Yeah. <laughs> he's put the dog in goalkeeping gloves and he says, send me a picture of you and your dog like this and get the chance to win my signed Evo Power gloves. Hashtag win, hashtag dog. <laughs> wow, what, what, what date is this? May the 8th, 2017. You've got to scroll right back. There's also a video from a few days before. Oh, I uh, see it there. I see it there. That's amazing. Yeah. She doesn't look um, but he happy with the gloves, but... Um, yeah, I mean, is that cruel to put a dog in gold no, gloves? No, not at all. Not at all. Well, it's just... All right, then. Just a bit of fun. If you put so, a dog in socks, it's quite funny to watch them try and walk. I mean, I would back this dog over a spina most days. <laughs> um, oh. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Hector Bellerin has got a has got a dog, of course. Hector's got a Weimaraner. Ah. Yeah. So he, he's, I mean, imagine, imagine the fashions that Hector's dog could could wear. I know Amy Martin has got his dog in goalkeeping gloves, but imagine what Hector's dog could look like if you if you dressed it up. And the thing about Weimaraners, um, if you look at them, they have very human eyes, really human eyes as a breed. They're quite blue, right. often very blue eyes. So imagine well, a dressing a Weimaraner in a suit. Surely someone's yeah, done I mean, that. You, you wouldn't be able to tell that it was a dog, I suspect, at that point. Yeah. I'm, I'm uh, sure that someone's done it. Uh, Hector Bellerin's hair is very long, by the way, isn't it? People are going to be furious. <sighs> People are going to be up in arms. Yes, um, they certainly I can't. Are. Oh, there's his dog. There's his dog. I can see his dog. Um, oh, bless. That's when it's a little puppy. Otto, his dog is called. Yeah. So we do have some dog-friendly people. Some dog-friendly gunners. Um, yeah. Thank goodness for that. It would yeah. have been terrible to have no... Mm. No dog-friendly players. No dog-friendly Why don't the dogs get to go on the lap of appreciation? That's a really good question. Probably because they might shit on the pitch. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, the sure. only, only reason yeah, the only I can place to do that is Spurs' new stadium. Yeah, exactly. It's custom-built for that stuff. <laughs> do it from the blimp. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? The end yeah. of Spurs' first season in their brand-new stadium where they finished 13th an Arsenal hire a blimp and get all of the Arsenal players' dogs to shit out of <laughs> I, I I much prefer that to the, the plane with the Wenger out banner. That's a much better idea. Remember that time a, a bird did a shit in Ashley Young's mouth? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I Imagine did. Hector Bellerin's Weimaraner just lobbing a turd into Harry Kane's mouth at the end it's, of the... It's always open, so yeah. I mean... It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a target. Plausible. 
It is a target. All right. Well, look, we better leave it there. Um, thank you, as ever, for listening. I know it's a bit serious today and has been in, uh, at times throughout, but, you know, that is what's going on. Uh, we appreciate you listening, as always. The preseason games kick off on Thursday, so we'll probably have an cast on Friday of some description to uh, maybe talk about those games, or maybe we'll wait until next Monday for the cast Extra to uh, properly analyze the, the two preseason games in Singapore. So, until then, thanks as ever. We'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.